0: I'm not afraid to clap when I can watch somebody else clap, because then I know that I'm clapping on time. I, uh, I used to be on staff at a church that was, uh, was about 70% African American and 30% white. And uh, the pastor, who is African American, told me, he said, now, you're gonna to have to watch other people clap because I'm pretty sure you're not gonna be able to, yeah, and he was right, was like Steve Martin in The Jerk, right? Trying to, does anybody remember that movie? Okay, enough said about that, but I enjoyed that. Um, I'm gonna now read the second lesson out of Paul's letter to the Romans. Chapter eight, it's found in your liturgy. There's therefore no condemnation For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of human flesh, sinful flesh, and to to deal with sin. He condemns sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. It is the gospel. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Open our ears, O Lord, that we would hear the gospel. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, some of you know this. That last weekend I had the privilege of being the minister who officiated um, a wedding for Grace Chicago member. And... Uh, it was out in the Denver area, what a joy it was to be there. Now, you, you know that that it's hard not to be joyful and happy at a wedding. Well, you know, th- this was interesting, one, because the joy level was, you know, in the old, I guess this is going to be the day that I refer to movies that so many of you are too young to remember, um, but <laughs> this was one of those, like in the in the words of Spinal Tap, you know, this one went to 11, okay? There's a lot of joy going on. I went into the rehearsal dinner, though, and this is very interesting because um, I was greeted by the sister of the bride. Now, some of you know these people. They'll have a different level of meaning for you, but I don't think you need to know them to understand what I'm trying to get at here when I tie it to the Isaiah passage in just a moment. I was greeted by the sister of the bride. She comes running up to me. She says, Pastor Bob, Pastor Bob, Pastor Bob. First of all, she says, where's Palmer? Where's Jill? You know, because they weren't with me, unfortunately. Uh, And then she said, I'm so glad you're here. I'm happy, 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 happy. And she did a happy jig. Happy, 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 happy. You know, if you looked as... If you were looking on as an uninformed observer, you would think that the sister of the bride must be the bride. I mean, in that moment, she captured all the joy in the room. All the joy in the room. Now, analogies are never perfect But I wanted to open this way because something interesting and surprising is going on in the Isaiah passage, the one that called us to worship this morning. And it's easy to miss. With all the language of trees clapping and mountains singing, you might want to go back and just glance at that. It's at the very end of that passage with all the language of trees clapping and mountains singing, you might be tempted to think that all of these signs of redemption are meant first and foremost to be signs of joy for human beings who are, after all, the objects of God's redemptive love. But no, instead, the prophet says, these mountains singing, trees clapping, these are memorials for the Lord. These are everlasting signs that cannot be cut off. If you hear this and it registers with you, it should send a little chill up your spine or bring tears of joy to your eyes. Because what the prophet is saying is that the battle to redeem human beings and our world is not a battle humans win. It's not a battle humans are even supposed to enjoin. It's not a battle that we can win. It's a battle that God takes on as his own. When the prophet Isaiah, God's oracle, speaks of God's future redemption of humankind, he speaks of what he doesn't know fully. That's the way it is with prophets. They prophesied about things that were beyond their grasp. But it's a redemption that he points to that we do know about. Isaiah is speaking of the redemption made possible through Jesus' death on the cross, through which he defeated sin and its power. God the Father raised him from the dead as a vindication which, of his sacrificial death on our behalf. The prophet says in response to such a great salvation, listen, listen, and you will hear the mountains sing. Listen, and you will hear the trees clapping. In other words, God's victory over the enemies of human flourishing makes God happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. I wanted to come to our text in Romans this morning through this insight from Isaiah because it's very important. We are hindered, And prevented from responding to the gospel as we should, unless we understand that sin's defeat is God's victory for us. We have nothing to do with the battle, it's out of our hands. The salvation of the world is God's battle won on our behalf. So much so that, as we just mentioned, the celebration of the victory begins first with God's celebration. A memorial for the Lord, an everlasting sign that cannot be cut off. Now, to be sure this is a celebration that we do enter into, I mentioned that at the beginning of the worship service this this morning. You know, whenever you come into a worship service, you know, keep this thought in mind and close to heart you're entering into a celebration that was going on before you got here. (laughs) It was going on before the foundation of the world. Because when God created, God knew that God would forgive. And he knew that he would defeat all of the enemies of human flourishing, that he would not just restore us to the glory that our original primordial parents had in the garden, but he would restore us and indeed invite us into a glory that participates into the very glory that Father and Son and Holy Spirit have shared before the foundation of the world. And that's why every worship service is a party that's been going on before we got here. So we do share in the joy, but we miss the point. We don't realize that we're sharing in a joy that belongs to God more properly than it ever will belong to us. Doesn't mean that it doesn't belong to us, it means that we don't get it right if we don't realize the joy first belonged to God. Now, it's really quite humbling, isn't it, to think this way? Um, God's victory on our behalf will never make us as happy as it makes God. I can't understand this just a smidgen as a parent. Just a smidgen. Now, those of you who aren't parents, you may have nieces or nephews, You may have those people who are very dear to you, who you look after. I think that you'll be able to create your own analogies for this. But when I think of all the sacrifices that we parents make, and the joy that those sacrifices do bring our children, there's a sense in which we realize that their joy over the fruits that our sacrifices made possible for them will never bring them as much joy as it brought us to make them in the first place. Now that's how love works on a human level, how much more so with the love of God. And so when we come to the passage in front of us this morning, we have, because of everything we've been saying up to this point, we have a theological framework for what Paul is talking about. Remember that sin often occurs in Romans, in the sentences that Paul writes. Sin often occurs as the subject of a sentence. Sin did this, sin did that. Sin is a power that traps human beings. Our worship is distorted and we become idolatrous as a result of what sin did. We imagine ourselves to be self-determining, not answerable to our creator because of the seductive power of what sin did. And even when we make a goal of living morally, we find that we are unable to do it because of the power of sin, Romans 7, right before this. But God does in Christ what we cannot do for ourselves, frees us. From sin's power. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done with the law what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son, the likeness of sinful flesh. And to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God has defeated sin. And if we can borrow the structure and the logic of that portion of Isaiah that we cited earlier and substitute New Testament symbols for the thorn bush and the cypress and the nettles and the myrtles, we can say, That instead of the realm of the flesh, which is under the power of sin, there is now the realm of the spirit that is under control of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. No more thorn bushes, but cypresses. No more nettles, but myrtles. No more flesh. But spirit, that is a memorial to the Lord. A sign will not be cut off. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. That is the memorial to the Lord, an everlasting sign that will not be cut off. What's the so what of all of this? What is the so what of all of this? The so what of all of this lies in how we are to live in light of this truth. Paul says that we should set our minds on the spirit. Now that word that is translated mind is from a family of words that Paul loves to use when he's talking about the pattern of living to which Christians are called have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus is how he says it in Philippians chapter two. And what Paul is saying here is that we should have a pattern of thinking, pattern of being, a pattern of feeling that leads us to confess that we can only offer our weaknesses and our frailty and our brokenness to God. That's all we got. But that's how God wants us to come. That's what it looks like to have mindset on the Spirit, is to confess that our only hope is that God has defeated sin on our behalf. That pattern puts us in the power of the Spirit. Conversely, if we don't live that way, we may think, In fact, we will think that we're on our own power and maybe take pride in that. But we're actually being controlled by the deluding power of sin. That's what is meant by setting our mind on the flesh. When Miroslav Vov was with us earlier this year, he talked about the crushing weight that so many of us feel due to the spirit of our age, he called it the bad infinity of perceived infinite moral responsibility. He said this, and I quote, in a highly competitive world that never seems to stop, one task chases another, and we're never done. Sisyphus strains and grunts always overwhelmed, always inadequate. He doesn't dance, he doesn't rejoice. But it's not simply that we feel overwhelmed and inadequate. Rightly or wrongly, we experience the impossible task as our moral responsibility, not simply as our personal ambition. Perceived infinite moral responsibility means an abiding culpability, a low intensity and articulate guilt that bleaches color from our experience in the world. Together, inadequacy and guilt arrest joy and make its muscles shrivel. Enveloped in mists of futility and melancholy, we comfort ourselves with excitement and fun, but rarely achieve the richer pleasure of joy. End of quote. Sisters and brothers, we can enter into joy. We really can. And we enter into joy when we enter into God's joy. When we enter into God's joy over God's victory on our behalf. God has defeated every enemy of human flourishing in His defeat of sin and evil on the cross. This has made God happy, happy, happy. Enter into God's joy as you fall into the riches of God's salvation of the world in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.